Hello and welcome to Conversations and Community Leadership, a project from Leadership for Civic and Community Engagement at North Carolina A&T. This course is stewarded by Dr. Karen Jackson. Now, here's the show. My name is Nikenji Robertson, and I'm a first-year Leadership Studies PhD student at North Carolina A&T State University. My name is Angela Lowens. I'm also a doctoral student at North Carolina A&T State. Welcome to ART, the Action Research Today podcast, where we explore the impacts of mental health on the Black employees and Black entrepreneurs, as well as various resources available. We'll dive into related history, real life experiences, and the supporting literature that shapes our understanding of mental health in the Black working class today. Whether you're a seasoned professional, Black employee, or Black entrepreneur, or just curious, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's explore the world of mental health on the Black working class. For our action research project, we interviewed three participants. You'll be hearing snippets from them throughout the show today. Our first participant is Alicia. Her background is in social work and she's been employed in that area for nine years. She's been a nonprofit entrepreneur for four years. Here's a little from Alicia. I actually Honestly, I did not do, I did not practice self care <laughs> a lot myself, but now I'm heavily incorporating it. I, I'm currently in therapy now, too. I've been in therapy since what, August? So it has helped to alleviate a lot of external factors and variables that were a little challenging for me, but now it's keeping me on course um, as far as focusing and time management. So I've always had a sense of time management. I can't say it was a strong skill of mine because it definitely was not, but um, I have started utilizing different tools and strategies that I've learned, especially in um, my therapy session. Uh Diane is our next participant, and Diane has worked in the technology industry for 24 years. She currently works in the private sector, but has extensive entrepreneurship experience. So here's the voice of Diane. Corporate environment, my expectation was on-the-job training, you know, and, and to be able to be presented with opportunities All right, Monica is our therapist. She's been a mental health, ther health therapist for 14 years. She is also an entrepreneur, but for this interview, we focused on her as a mental health expert. So she's gonna introduce some of the services that she offers here. Um, a lot of times people are coming to me, I feel like, and I wanna differentiate between like therapy and coaching. Mm -hmm. Some people come to me for the coaching component. Okay. And that does really like identify like imposter syndrome, feeling as if they fit in, transitions. Um, and then you have people that aren't actually suffering with the mental health diagnosis. And the difference would be like how like your functioning is impacted, how many symptoms you present, um, how long you've presented those symptoms, 
So a lot of clinicians, not just myself, may give somebody a diagnosis of like adjustment disorder um, because that does kind of speak to the transition that they're experiencing. Um, and obviously for insurance reasons, they can bill it and it's ethical to do so as opposed to diagnosing somebody with like major depressive disorder because their symptoms may not be as severe and the duration of those symptoms, it just doesn't meet criteria for like major depressive disorder. So sometimes people come to me and I do coaching and it's a fine line. So if I do coaching, I have to identify myself as such in the beginning. Like I'm not your therapist. If you need like a diagnosis, then we need to consider that instead of therapy. And then sometimes people come to me because they really like have a mental health condition and then we go into therapy. So to give some historical background to our project, research from Martin Roos tells us that when enslavement ended, Black people were expected to immediately support themselves and join the American economy. Freedmen's bureaus were established to support Blacks as they transitioned to wage labor. The expectation was that Blacks would fund education for their children and find work outside of the home so they would not need financial support from the government. This tells us that the employment standards were already in place in America. Blacks joined a labor force that was already functioning in a certain way. And so without an opportunity to design the systems of income or self-sufficiency uh, that would have been a cultural match, Blacks had to assimilate into what was already there. And this sets the tone for the challenges and inequities that Blacks experience in employment still today. Good question. Um, sometimes they need just <laughs> visibility, like of people that look like them in their environment and safe spaces. So what I've seen like a trend with some um, employers in corporate America is that they have like, um, of course, DEI groups um, and they pretty much do an assessment to figure out exactly what the need is and how to be more inclusive. And also I've seen programs in place that promote success. So I know a couple of people um, that I see that work in corporate America, um, they're able to get into like a mentorship program. So opportunities in which they traditionally would not have, they have those opportunities um, and they know how to quote unquote, climb the corporate ladder in a way that their white counterparts can already do so. Um, so they have the opportunity through mentorship. So I've seen that trend a lot lately. So let's unpack this a little bit based on the literature. So first, there are mental health impacts from corporate employment. We've learned from researchers at the Center for Talent Innovation that Black professionals experience more depression and anxiety at work than their white colleagues. PTSD is another issue. Sometimes Black professionals operate in a defensive manner on the job based on previous negative experiences at work. Along with that, imposter syndrome is another big issue. And so as an entrepreneur, Alicia shared an experience that might lead to entrepreneur, that might lead to imposter syndrome and how she combated that. The challenge comes in where when someone looks at me and says, are you sure that's what you wanna do? Or they second guess me and that's where I'm, I kick right back in. Um, I was like, nothing has ever stopped. 
So I'm, I kind of have this competitive thing nature with me. Like, uh, you're not gonna, you're gonna, I'm gonna prove you wrong. And Diane, in another case, alluded to a situation that might foster imposter syndrome. She mentioned that early in her career, she was the go-to person at work. She had a strong intellect, she wanted to learn, and she was willing to take on new challenges. Unfortunately, she wasn't rewarded with the salary or promotion that others received. So Collins and Price, Hanson and Neves investigated the educational development of women of color in STEM fields like, like Diane, who works in software development. Their research showed that a disconnect between manifesting talents and those talents being validated, encouraged or appreciated in a formal education setting had a role in the early rise of imposter syndrome. As an entrepreneur, Diane seemed to find joy in coaching and guiding the development others, of others. Rather than feel like an imposter, she was confident in her ability to connect with people she hired and bring them to the next level in their development. As we were looking at these mental health challenges with um, mental health, mental illness, mental wellness, we wondered about the why behind this. Why are Black professionals experiencing more anxiety and depression? And Monica, our therapist, was able to provide some insight. She told us that you know, more than 150 years later, she helped us to see that the job environment is still set, not set up in a way that embraces Black culture and values. Yeah, that's a good question. Corporate America and entrepreneurship. Some similarities are it still can feel pretty lonely um, because a lot of people specifically, and I'm thinking about African-American providers, right? Um, and African-American people that are in corporate America. So I want to be specific about that. Um, so it can feel alone because in corporate America, it's a lack of inclusion. So it's just not a lot of people that look like them. And so again, imposter syndrome can come about. And I've seen the same thing with entrepreneurs. So still traditionally, like historically oppressed people haven't had the opportunity to see like people that are entrepreneurs or are in corporate America and what that looks like and how to kind of engage and operate. And so they don't have an example. Um, and so you tend to second guess yourself. Like I've seen that in both um, as you're working and you don't feel as comfortable again because imposter syndrome kind of creeps up. So those are similarities I've seen in, in corporate America, though. So they do have, again, programs like DEI, like they have some support systems in corporate America that are kind of a part of that system now. Um, I've seen it more often now with entrepreneurship. They have to kind of create those networks of support. They're not already there. So if you don't create it, you can feel really, again, like you're operating pretty alone in that world. So as Monica mentioned, Black entrepreneurs face similar challenges. And we have been learning about spiritual capital, and which is Willie Burgess and Ellison describe as a relational connection that extends beyond the logical and contractual. 
When I think of spiritual capital, I think of how we do more than necessary because we know the impact is going to be greater than we may ever realize. So I've seen research on Black teachers at Black schools during segregation and in the early days of integration. And so the stories that Ward Randolph and Robinson told about these educators, we could see how they invested more than was necessary, more than what is required of teachers into their students. It was like they were teaching for the culture and their purpose was to make everything better, you know, make it better for the students for the future, including for ourselves. And Diane speaks about this a little bit. I would try to do things that just opened my mind to stuff, whether it was travel, reading, um, listening to, you know, different, like the echo chamber that I wouldn't normally be in for my culture or for my whatever, you know, just trying to get more, um, more access to different lenses, I think was how I would quantify managing my, my mental health. Um, I do like physical activity. So dance is a big thing for me. And I've done that forever. Haven't done it a lot in the past couple of years and I've been more sick than I ever have. So, you know, I think that that is a, a key learning opportunity for me to say that that's part of my day to day that I should not, um, let go by the wayside because it's been helpful keeping me, uh, you know, I, I've been healthy for for most of all of these things that were happening. And it's just been the recent years that it's been starting to take its toll. So, and those are the things that I haven't been doing as much. So I would say the dance, the, you know, travel and just getting an opportunity to find different mindsets and at least may not agree with them but at least ha have access to them and try to, as different things come, try to. So black entrepreneurs provided a major source of spiritual capital. They didn't just operate businesses in the black community to profit from the economy. Black business owners were like grocers, funeral home directors, taxi drivers, restauranteurs, they hosted community meetings and even organized events. They were trusted in the community and they spoke out to support the community's needs. As an illustration of spiritual capital, they had businesses that met community needs and they also made a personal investment of their resources for work that would support future generations within their communities. As we learned about what Black employees were experiencing, we asked ourselves, do employers care? Are they doing anything to address or alleviate these mental health challenges? Of course, employers are aware of the challenges with mental wellness and are working to address them. Unfortunately, in the literature we came across, social scientists and some employees don't feel like the efforts are sincere. Let's start with a critical theory of corporate wellness proposed by Hull and Pascal. Essentially, they say that wellness programs offered by private and public sector employers don't have substantial impacts on health, well-being, or medical costs. They see these programs as a way to monitor employees, behavior and discipline employees, who may not have time to focus on their health. Their research also showed that companies 
are looking to shift costs to employees in the form of higher insurance premiums or denial of coverage. They highlight that some seemingly beneficial corporate programs are superficial at best and nefarious at worst. Employees have a sense that they're not being truly supported. One program that is highly touted for wellness is the Employee Assistance Program. Many companies provide counseling for their employees via EAP. In research on workplace bullying, for example, Lockhart and Benugapan found that EAP counselors did not have the credentials to handle the stressors that are faced by employees in the modern workforce. About 30% of employees who experienced bullying in the workplace felt like the company did not care about their accomplishments, their best interests, or their satisfaction at work. Wellness at work programs aren't win-win situations. Employee assistance programs are not providing the type of assistance that's needed. Is anything working? Yes. Some companies are more employee-centered and promote well-being through solutions like remote work and flexible scheduling. Diane shared that she left corporate America and became an entrepreneur so that she could be available for her children during their formative years. If the employment trends that flourished during the COVID-19 pandemic had been more widely available 15 years ago, she might have been able to maintain her corporate income and balance parenthood. Since entrepreneurs work for themselves, they find resources in other places. Alicia talked about the encouragement she received to take care of herself. Remember, I'm forgetting myself. <laughs> I'm definitely forgetting myself here. But uh, I'm starting to learn how to balance those things out with the help of a lot of the volunteers at the Small Business Center who I've been able to remain connected to. Our interviewees talked about values that they are able to include in their businesses as entrepreneurs that aren't necessarily embraced in the workplace. For Diane, entrepreneurship was the way to raise her children on her own terms. And what I expected from the entrepreneurship journey was flexibility. You know, really that's that was the thing for me was flexibility for my children um, and the ability to make change kind of, you know, more immediate, you know, in those kind of the concept of, you know, you throw one fish back into the sea, you took care of that one, you know, I could do something on a small scale, but I could do it repeatedly. So those were the things I was expecting out of um, entrepreneurship. I wasn't really expecting a lot of money. And I mean, we did really well, but my key pieces were being able to be a mom and walk away if I needed to walk away from the day and say my kids got soccer or my kids got a program that they're singing in, I'm gone. For Alicia, her nonprofit is all about families. So she includes her husband, children, and extended family as a way of spending time with them. And it's also an illustration of her value for family and her business. I typically try to incorporate, you hear me talk about my family too. So I try to incorporate times and days where if I have events, then I try to invite them. So it's a family-oriented event. I definitely invite them to come out. Although I'm working, I still make time to play with my kids, even at those events. I allow them to 
participate in set up, break down, sometimes even engaging with clients or even engaging with uh, potential investors. Because I believe that, of course, I don't want to take away from my kids, but it shows and demonstrates exactly one of those that, that we are truly family oriented as far as our value system. And so what we're hearing is that family is an important factor to both of these moms. Some companies observe take your child to work day, and that's pretty much the one day each year when children are welcome in the workplace. But these moms take it to a different level by being role models for their children and also investing in their families. So now let's talk a little bit about barriers. Internal barriers we found were feeling like you have enough source, sources of support through friends, family, or church already. There's also the stigma of getting help. That's been around for many, many, many years. And then just getting in the way or overthinking why you should get help, what it looks like to other people, and you know, making that decision of to do it or not to do it. Some of the external barriers were centered around systemic oppression, lacking money or access to services, and not trusting the healthcare system. The literature on workplace bullying highlighted lack of trust as an issue. And then employees did not trust EAP programs, which was supposed to be a confidential resource. All right, Nikenji, so where do we go from here? What can we do to take care of our mental health? And so first, it starts really with internal, like just like self-assessment. So that's a resource, just yourself and how you perceive things, making sure your narrative is exactly what it needs to be according to fact. So sometimes your narrative, of course, doesn't match exactly what's going on around you because you're still second-guessing yourself. You still have questions about whether or not you're good enough to be in that position. And that happens in corporate America and with entrepreneurship, again, with Black women is um, primarily who I work with. Um, so if you're able to just, again, address that imposter syndrome with a new narrative, that tends to work well. So that internal kind of assessment helps. And then also, like, I'll find groups for them. So again they have like support groups for people that have like anxiety and or mental health issues they have support groups specifically um, for people that may be struggling in certain areas like with maternal health what that looks like if you just had a baby what that looks like they have groups for people that are in corporate america and just don't have a lot of support as well so just finding groups of people that are like them where they can engage and get more support group work is So it sounds like the best advice is to find a therapist who gets it for your situation. Find someone, a professional who gets it for your situation, and they can help you connect you to other resources. If you're seeking counseling, therapy, or coaching, it would be based on whether you're experiencing mental illness or if you have a mental wellness concern. And then also be open to finding a practitioner who's the best fit for you. If the first person you work with, eh, you don't quite vibe with, it's okay to look for someone else. We've heard a lot today. What are you going to take away, Angela? I'm taking away information on imposter syndrome. I feel like I hear a lot of people talk about imposter syndrome, but it was really good to hear our entrepreneurs um, talk about when they're in their entrepreneurial element, some of the things that they do that kind of were anti-imposter. 
they felt confident. They felt more confident. Here's how I combat it. When someone says this to me, here's how I combat it. And so that's what I'm taking away. How about you? Well, I'm taking away the comment about a therapist fit. It's really not a one size fits all when you're looking for a therapist. And you should find one that you're comfortable with and can build a good relationship. All right, that's all for this episode of Action Research Today. We hope you've enjoyed exploring the, exploring the impacts of mental health on Black employees and entrepreneurs and have gained valuable knowledge and resources that and have gained valuable knowledge about resources that are available. Thanks for joining. Thank you for listening to Conversations and Community Leadership, a project from Leadership for Civic and Community Engagement at North Carolina A&T with your host and leader, Dr. Karen Jackson. Dr. Karen Jackson can be reached at ktjackson at ncat.edu. You can also check out more from North Carolina A&T and their Leadership for Civic and Community Engagement programs at https colon forward slash forward slash www.ncat.edu forward slash academics forward slash graduate hyphen programs forward slash CED forward slash leadership hyphen studies dot php. You can also type it right into their main website and find it at www.ncat.edu. Thanks for listening. This has been a Big Mouth Media Production.